My name is Jafar Iqbal, and this is Critically Speaking, difficult conversations about the arts and culture in Wales. Before we start today's episode, I just want to take you behind the curtain a little bit. This whole podcast is about tackling difficult subjects, but I also wanted it to be a platform for those artists who perhaps don't get a spotlight, or don't get to have the kind of conversations that I have with them here. These aren't the same old names, and they're definitely not the same old faces, something Wells really needs. The reason I bring that up is because, in all honesty, this podcast wouldn't exist if I hadn't met today's guest, Dure Shawar, in 2016. There weren't many artists from minority communities back then, and there aren't really that many now either, but working with a successful artist from a similar background inspired me to challenge myself and change the way that I worked. It led me into a rabbit hole that I'm still tumbling down today, and it's why you're able to listen to this podcast right now. Inspiration and representation come up quite a lot in this really interesting conversation which was recorded in August 2019. But Dure brings up so many other important topics. So let's get started. Welcome to episode 3 of Critically Speaking. When did you start calling yourself writer? About a year or two ago. Okay. And I've actually been writing for longer than that. But like what? Did you just wake up one day and be like, I'm now a writer? Or did something happen? What was it? When I was changing my Twitter bio one time. That's a horrible reason to do it. Well, no, actually, because, like, otherwise you put, like, some sort of a self-mimicry word in front of writer or aspiring writer or nearly there. Like, you know, some people do that. Yeah. And to be able to just be, like, writer full stop, that's when I was... And obviously, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I was like, today, from now on, I will just be writer. It took time to get used to. But I think as I was growing in the amount of, like, publications I was having, I think that helped and... Yeah, publications and like good magazines, and then I think, I think the most of it is when I really got accepted to do my PhD, <laughs> because my PhD is in creative writing. Yeah. So I was kind of like, okay, people actually like my writing enough to fund me to do a PhD because it was funded as well. Yeah. So then I was like, yeah, I'm a writer. <laughs> well, see, that's the interesting thing is like you you've achieved so much, yet you still have this sort of imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think it's because I haven't achieved everything that I want to achieve yet. Okay. Which is the priority is to publish a book. And I think, like, especially as a writer, it's that whole, like, I'm not a writer until I've published a book. I mean, I am a writer, but then, you know, like, that will add that. I can actually say to people, yeah, I've got a book too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But then right now, so I've been published in books, <laughs> but not my own book. So what were you calling yourself beforehand then? I, I can't remember. I think it was... Or I don't think it was writer as such. It was like, I like to write, which is like slightly different. Okay. Because, you know, it's like saying I like to read. I think it's just... And I I think it's a shame to need that external validation and especially validation by people who are gatekeepers. Because, like, no matter how much we... There's always going to be gatekeepers. But I think that's a big part of it, really. Do you think... It's easier for you now with gatekeepers? No. <laughs> I thought it was becoming easier, but I feel like actually in some ways it gets harder too. 
because um, especially this year, I've had like difficult situations with gatekeepers, which you know of, which we won't mention. <laughs> but I think as you grow more confident as a writer and as like more confident in what your voice is and what kind of an image you want to put out, I think then you don't let gatekeepers compromise that image either. You put yourself in that position and so not many gatekeepers like that. So then you have a bit of like friction. So in, a, in some ways it gets easier, in some ways it doesn't. What do you think of the gatekeeper issue in Wales? Do you think it's still a big issue? Do you think it is still quite difficult to move ahead? I think people are trying. I think gatekeepers are trying. I think it's getting better. I think people's hearts are in the right places. But I don't know if the actions are always there. But I think people are more aware of it now. And I think they're trying to do a better thing. Can I, I, mean, do, I don't do you know of anyone who is doing it? Who would you point to and go, yeah, that person or that organisation is really trying their I best? I feel like Literature Wales is really trying their okay. best. In what way? For example, their funding schemes. They recently put out a funding scheme. So I feel like that's another thing. There's one thing like having your heart in the right place and there's another thing making actions to follow that up with. And they recently put out um, a funding scheme for to platform underrepresented writers. And... For that funding scheme, they even had consultations with different BME creatives in Wales, and it was for the first time that I've ever come across a paid consultation. Did you? Did you? Did they ask you to do one? Do no. Have <laughs> to let me know about it though. <laughs> it's fine. Well, the funding scheme is to that, so you can apply for that. I'll give them a call later. It's okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of people, and a lot of people disguise consultations, especially in Wales, as like let's go for a coffee and a chat. And it took me a long time to get used to, like, to realize that that's basically you giving free advice to someone, which is sometimes okay and sometimes not okay. But yeah, for them, they were really clear about the fact that it's a paid consultation. This is the funding scheme that we want you to give your cons- give your views on. And for them to be able to put out a funding scheme aimed at underrepresented writers, which was created with the help of underrepresented writers, like they had an info in it. I think that's a big thing. What's your experience been like, literature wise in the past? And has it always been kind of like this way? Or what do you think there was a point where it changed? I think it's always been this way. I mean, I'm going to sound biased because um, I used to work for them. <laughs> but that was like many years ago. And I think actually at that time, I did feel like they could do with more diversity. They could do with specifically targeting more underrepresented groups. But I think at the time I was like, this was many years ago, and at the time I was really not as confident as I am now or as outspoken. Nor was I aware of like anyone in the community. I mean, I hadn't even started where I'm coming from at the time. I just finished my master's, so I was new even to the art scene in Wales. So I wasn't even aware of other creatives of color in Wales. So to be able to like to want to speak out in in a predominantly like middle class white environment as someone who's come from a working class like migrant BME environment I wasn't really that confident but I remember feeling this at the time but not saying anything about it I think it's definitely like there has definitely been a shift more so in the last couple of years as opposed to maybe four three four years ago where has the confidence come from where does the outspokenness come from I think finding more people like me in Wales and actually kind of being asked to give opinions on things and not realizing that oh actually I do have something to say because if you if you have a thought and you keep it to yourself and then no one also asks you for an opinion on it then you don't really end up thinking that that's a valid thought if that makes sense but I think starting where I'm coming from that's been I think actually the biggest boost for me as well so I know it was created as much like boost 
unrepresented writers, but it's been as much of a growth for me. How has it been a growth for you? I think just like creating a community that where I have like other people that I can bounce ideas off of and knowing that other people are on the same position as me and there's people like me out there and and then also like it kind of pushes you into taking some sort of like a leadership role and not so much a leadership but kind of we do lead where I'm coming from so I think that just naturally pushes you to be more confident because if I wasn't confident then where I'm coming from wouldn't grow and if I wasn't brave with it then did you know that those communities existed? Because you get a good crowd every month. Yeah. <laughs> and it's grown. It seems, it seems like it does grow every month. And it always seems like you get new people every month. Yeah. Like, did you know those people were there? No. Where were they? I don't know. Haven't you asked them? <laughs> Where were you all this time? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I had an idea for ages. Like, I was like, I need to find more. I think, I think when, like, the good immigrants started... And I always refer back to this because that was like one of my biggest inspirations because Good Immigrant I saw as a book of like writers of colour coming together and creating something and then they seemed to be like this whole network in London of writers of colour and they were supporting each other etc etc and I just wanted something like that in Wales and so I had the idea for ages that like maybe I should do a call out and see what other writers of colour are there and I even did a blog post about it actually when I um on my personal blog, I was like, I want to discover more BME writers in Wales. And I guess I then did start discovering them. And yeah, and then eventually I kind of, the, the spider web of networks just grew and I realised that there was scope for it. Are you surprised at the success? Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised every month when people turn up and it's been two years. <laughs> it has been quite a long time now. Yeah, and I'm not just surprised that people turn up, surprised that new people come. And I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't admit this, but like we don't actually change that much in, in terms of our outreach strategy, <laughs> except just putting it out on like social media. But I guess word of mouth as well. A lot of what you do is about having the safe space. What was the safe space before where I'm coming from? I don't think there was one. Where did you go? I'm going to sound cocky saying that, but yeah, I don't no, think there was one. No, it's the truth, it's the truth. I think, I think in a way like, okay, this is going to sound so corny. But like for writers, just being in a literary environment is sometimes a safe space. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I used to just attend normal open mics and I never had a bad experience. I was, I was like vaguely aware that something was missing that I didn't feel quite fitted in. And I think that's when the imposter syndrome was highest for me because, yeah, I just felt different. But I never had an awful experience. Are you seeing people like yourself now coming through every month? Like where I'm coming from? Do you see yourself in like back in 2015? Yeah, kind of. I definitely see, like, for example, when we get young people, so recently we've had um, a young person actually got in touch with me through my website online, and she was she's from a South Asian background too. She was like, I never knew people like you existed. And it was like a really humbling moment that someone could, like, find out about me and look up to me that way. I think she looks up to me. <laughs> um, Maybe she's short. <laughs> yeah maybe it's literally just yeah. that. um, but yeah it's like that I see myself in that like writing as a young person and not knowing that there were people like me around and that I was literally like her words and then at the time honestly I didn't have where I'm coming from who did you look up to 
Was there anyone in Wales that you were like, hey, I want to be like this person? Not in Wales, no. Um, though uh, my piece, my master supervisor, Kate North, was always like really inspirational to me. How big a problem is that? That there's nobody in Wales that you can look up to? It's a big problem because, and I think especially because when writers of colour do get to that stage, they normally leave Wales, <laughs> um, which is like I do understand because Wales can be frustrating sometimes to say the least. And I think it's like good for any writer, regardless of your background, to want to grow outside, like all over the UK, as opposed to just, you know, being comfortable with Wales. But yeah, I do think it's a big problem. And I think it's also to do with maybe education as well. I mean, I didn't study any South Asian writers in university. So I think that in itself is an issue and totally another topic about like how diverse is academia or how representative, whichever core word we're going with now. <laughs> Which core word are you going with? <laughs> Representation, I guess, but diversity as well, I guess, still. But um, yeah, they both would be problems. Which you, one are you going with now? I go with representation. Yeah. Or underrepresented. Yeah. Uh, underrepresented has quite a negative connotation, whereas representation doesn't. Representation feels a bit more neutral. Yeah. Because not all representation is bad. I see. So if you say underrepresented, that's just a offshoot of representation. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of. Does it sound? Does no. it look like it does? <laughs> well, yeah. No, I think I see where you're coming from. When I say representation, I imagine like being representative of society. Okay. And the world. Whereas underrepresented is still feels like a marginalization in its way. Yeah, it's tricky. This is going to sound really negative. I don't think we'll ever be, we'll, we'll never not be underrepresented. As Surely that's the... That's you mean as like the American. Maybe not even us, but I feel like that isn't that just how the world works. There always has to be a minority. Why? Why? Because, why? Because that's the world, isn't it? Because why? Yeah. Well, I don't believe in... I don't like hierarchies, so... Fuck. <laughs> you can't... You can swear, swear as much as you want. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I don't like hierarchies, so... But do you think you don't like hierarchy because it's always historically undermined people like who look like you? Yes. And, I mean, why must there always be, like, someone who is undermined? I just don't think that's fair. I think there's, there's room for everyone. And there's room for everyone to be equal. Like, respecting everyone doesn't cost much. <laughs> you, you know, it doesn't have, you're not asking for much. It's, it's a human thing. Do you think a book like The Good Immigrant could be written in Wales? Yes. Do you think there are enough people of colour in Wales to... Yes, they could. Wales? They definitely could. And, uh, I mean, okay, Parthian's anthology that I'm currently editing, mm. that's not just about race. Um, that kind of includes everyone. Um, who's marginalised. It's basically my podcast in yeah. uh, book form. In book Thank form. you for doing that. Yeah, because <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's not just about race and ethnicity and heritage. and It's about like neurodivergent people, sexuality, all of those marginalisations. But I think they could definitely be scoped to do another book that was just focused on, you know, uh, race and ethnicity. And even like another book just that just focuses on sexuality because... Like, there is definitely enough scope for all of it, and we shouldn't tar everyone under the same brush. And yeah, I think people just need to try harder. <laughs> what has that experience been like of editing this work from one of marginalised writers? Stressful, okay. but also really, really um, 
stressful and rewarding at the same time. Rewarding, um, yeah. But rewarding as in we're reading such amazing essays, and there's so many like good voices in there. And were these voices that you'd heard before? No, some of them yes, but some of them no, and some of them. Like one of the writers that we have on board, she's recently been shortlisted or longlisted for the Fourth Estate Guardian BME Short Story Prize. Yeah, so it's like amazing, and she's probably always been there. But that's the amazing thing with with writers like this is that you just dis- discover more, and yeah, the pool gets bigger. Why was the Good Indigo so inspirational? I think because it was like one of the first of its kind, or maybe there were more before it, but. I yeah, I think it's, and I think it came out just after Brexit or just during Brexit around that time, and it was just so needed, and it was just bold and outspoken and yeah, really needed. And I think it it paved the way for a lot of things that came after, like a lot of people created like projects and anthologies and zines and community initiatives. What do you think of the um, the communities that are in Wales now and the work they're doing? Not just yourself, but other things like Lumen, things like Gentrified, yeah. like that. Like, was um, that there a few years ago? And it wasn't. No, and I think that's one of the questions. That's one of the homework tasks you gave to me. <laughs> Who deserves a shout out? And I want to say Lumen especially deserves a shout out because um, Lumen and Lucent, because they're the two like grassroots scenes in Wales led by women of colour especially in Wales where publishing and the head, like the gatekeepers of publishing and people who are publishers and magazines, etc., they are predominantly white. And I think, you know, it's great. And I'm working with one of them. It's great to work with them. But I think sometimes you do need, like they, they're hopefully going to fill the gap for BME-led publishing in Wales. Do you think there are too many white people in Wales in senior positions in the arts? Or just in general? Yeah, yes. <laughs> and actually, I had to sigh because I just thought of um, National Theatre Wales in the summer and our colleagues now leaving. And that will be one less person of colour in a higher position in Wales. Yeah. And how sad that is. What is it that NGW does that was so beneficial to you? I think, so actually, I met Curly when she came to the Good Immigrant Law and and then afterwards she reached out to me because they were doing India Wales with the British Council, Wales Arts National Arts Council, Wales. And she just reached out to me as a creative and artist to see if I would be interested in it. And hell yeah, I was interested in it because I'd never heard of a national company doing a project like that in Wales. And specifically, not just like women of colour, BME women, specifically South Asian women, because I think like that's really significant. I feel like even I'm guilty of it, like just tiring women of colour brush whereas not our, our experiences aren't the same like black women's experiences aren't the same as women of like south asian women's color um, south asian women's experiences um and the same as like you know southeast asian or east asian women's experiences like they're not all the same so yeah that was really good one of my essays was rewritten as a monologue for sisters it was really really difficult but at the same time it was really rewarding and i think that's when um that's when I also realised there's a scope for doing more things like this in Wales. Because every woman that we spoke to, there was like a desire to just tell your story. Do you think that's missing in Wales? Do you think we aren't reaching out to communities enough? Um, how can we do how can we reach out to communities? I think just create a department that's targeted specifically 
to do outreach to communities uh, where you just go in and spend time with the community over a long period of time without having some sort of an end goal because and that's something I really realized working in that role because and it really annoyed me because I feel like there's always an end goal for funders for organizations that they'll go into a community for a certain period of time and come away with it with something from the community and not necessarily always credit the community and then or even go back to the community to give them like what does the community get out of it like you get to be able to put a tick box on your funding application and go forward and on your own way but like what what are you leaving behind with the community and I feel like that it's just really something as simple as like creating a position that of a community outreach officer that will spend time with a certain community over a long period of time and it really doesn't require much theater is meant to be accessible is it not and it's meant to be dynamic and changing like we really can't keep making old traditional theater <laughs> and yeah that has its place and that is important but i mean that was the reason why theater was so accessible for someone like me because they made because NCW made it accessible without them i would not have even dip my toes into theater and i would have especially coming from a working class background i would have thought it's this high prestigious thing that is not for me whereas that's not the case <laughs> Do you think it was Cully that gave you that motivation to get involved? Yeah, 100%. Because actually seeing her in that position was inspirational for me. Like it's In what way? Suppose seeing like a South Asian woman lead a national theatre organisation in Wales. Like That's big. That's, that's quite big. In the UK? In the, in the UK, exactly. That's mm. really big. What do you think her leading is going to mean to Wales? I, I, yeah, I do wonder about that. I just hope, I guess Wales is like going to lose out on someone. And I, I guess I just wonder about the direction the National Theatre Wales will take afterwards. Like if the next person will be the same inclusive person that Kali is. Will young brown girls like me see themselves in them? Probably not. Like, Should not the artist director be for everyone? It can't just be for little brown girls. Yeah, it should be for everyone, but I feel like that's, um, it isn't usually for everyone. The, the thing that I always grapple with, and I keep going back and forth on it, is whether, because historically the lack of opportunities that people from minority communities get, people from South Asian backgrounds get, we should be welcoming specific opportunities for South Asian people. Mm-hmm. But then I think, well, am I actually getting an opportunity because I'm good or because I'm South Asian? Right. Of and course. so going back to the idea of imposter syndrome, that's where my imposter syndrome comes from, yeah. is not knowing whether I'm good or I'm South Asian. Right. Yeah, and I battle with this all the time. Like, every single opportunity I get, I'm like, do they just want me because I'm a woman of colour? Mm. I think it's a confidence thing, too. I think you have to have confidence to know that you're good. <laughs> but I think sometimes you can just tell when someone's approaching you because they just need a brown face. I think it's just really obvious. And you've been quite outspoken about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like when... You're the Brexit girl. I'm the Brexit girl. Yeah, yeah. Which has stopped now, thank God. So my being outspoken, like, helped. Was it good at first? What was? Being approached for those sorts of comments? Or did, were you always, no, were you always, <laughs> were you always adverse to it? I was always adverse to it. Mm. Um, maybe because partly I'm an introvert too, so... Like, doing things like appearing on the news isn't really something I would jump at. I and still don't jump at. 
What do you think makes a safe space? I think it depends on the community you're targeting. So I think first it was specifically, to begin with, it was specifically BME writers and new writers. So we wanted to really platform writers who maybe didn't have a book yet or maybe hadn't even been published in a magazine yet. Writers who maybe just started writing and giving them the same amount of respect that you would give a published writer and even featuring them and not being like your work isn't good enough because we don't we really don't judge on quality because we just want it to be a space where people come and share words and just go away feeling better hopefully <laughs> you had that one experience so that was that where you had the a short story was read out and it caused a bit of a stir mm. how important is that having those discussions do you think that was beneficial no actually no because that was the reason why Hanan started the you know why Hanan was joined me in starting this was because she had attended an open mic night in Wales where one of the writers I will not say who because people will probably even know but one of one writer performed something that used the n-word and the, the p-word used it for like shock effect and actually said those words as a white writer and it was just not cool like it and to be like to have to have that conversation to be able to say that you actually can't say that like to be able to educate people to be ha- to have to educate people on why that is wrong in today's day and age it's just oh it's problematic and exhausting in itself like where do you live like do you live like we don't live in a cave we have access to the internet these conversations are happening more than ever it's just you're quite vocal about when you get approached about rubbish things or things you don't want to talk about and and you and you're quite public about kind of your own health and things like that like how do you cope is the wrong word but how do you cope with like when that stress hits you what's your way of dealing with it shutting down okay. <laughs> um yeah because i get stressed regularly i really just shut down um i just block off take time off well, why do you think it's so important to be vocal about that sort of stuff? Like, what, what? Because you say you're an introvert, but yeah. you, but you are really public about this stuff. Yeah, I know, and I think people are surprised that I'm public about it because I don't think it's still cool to be public about it. Like, I think some people still don't feel comfortable being public about their mental health. I guess and I don't know why I am. I think it's because I grew up around mental health, and I think the silence is what's worse about it like it actually makes it worse like you're already dealing with something and then do have to keep it silent is like adding another layer of pressure onto it and especially because i grew up in like a south asian environment and also a religious environment where mental health really isn't taken seriously you probably know i know yeah it just it was like for me it was it was suffocating and I think for me, it was a way of like lashing out against that. Not even a lashing out, but like challenging that, challenging why that is the case. And hopefully like to, to make life easier for other people who are in the same position as me. Is it cathartic? It is cathartic. But then sometimes I am like, oh, damn, that. like I don't really want to tweet about, sorry guys, I've got to like, up my meds today, so I'm a bit of a zombie. <laughs> I wouldn't tweet about things like that, but yeah. I mean, everyone suffers. I feel like now, now, Today's day and age, everyone's almost a bad mental health problem. Poor fucking Brexit and Trump and how can you not be depressed? Right, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson and. I'm just gonna put you on the spot slightly, but what what do you think of your position in the world right now? Like, 
as, as an artist or... I don't think about it so much. Okay. Recently, I've started to. Do you not think you have to because of the kind of brand that you're creating is where I'm coming from? Or Yeah, and I think because there's a lot of politicking that goes on in Wales, especially this year. And like it has made me start thinking about representation in Wales. And not so much in Wales, but like as an artist, full stop. And there's like a lot of politicking and like a lot of Chinese whispering and not this and that. And I think for me, like I'm a solver. So if I see an issue, I try and solve it. Like I can't, can't leave it be. And for me, I think as long as I'm doing good, like as long as I'm a good, okay, it's gonna sound so cliche, but as long as I'm a good person, yeah, as long as I'm a good person and calling out the right things and challenging the right things and actually just freaking writing and like getting work out there, that's what's important to me and continuing with where I'm coming from and making sure other people have the same platform that I did. And that's episode three in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Episode three was recorded, hosted and edited by me, Jafar Iqbal. The podcast has been produced by Shane Nichols, who also provided sound support. I want to thank Dure for giving up her time for the recording. And of course, I really can't thank all of you enough for listening. Make sure you carry on the conversation by finding us on social media. It's critic underscore speak on Twitter, critically.speaking on Instagram, and you can search for the Critically Speaking Facebook page. Now, the next time you hear from me will be in 2020. However you choose to spend the next two weeks, whether you're celebrating something or you're celebrating nothing, I hope you all have a wonderful time and we'll see you in the new year. Thank you, dioch, and goodbye.